As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Greetings, salutations, and of course, hello to all of my listeners, my Unlucky Lounge rats. Good to have you back here in the Unlucky Lounge for a brand new episode of Draft and Draft. My name is Corey, your limited lore master, denizen of this, the Unlucky Lounge, and joining me as always is the 2-2 that's always there for you on turn number two. His name is Borok, my bear buddy. We're just turning on the microphone here today and seeing what comes out because things are happening around us and, well, I want to have a venue to speak about it. And look, I've got a podcast. Weird. Um, Corey, that's pretty unlike you. Typically, you don't really put the microphone on unless you have a stroke of genius. Mm, turtle. Well, I guess instead of a stroke of genius, we're going to go a little reckless impulsing. I want to talk about a previous episode that we made back in the archives and address what it means to me after recent announcements with Magic Arena. I also want to talk about projects that I've been doing with collaborators, what the future looks like, and hey, maybe we'll fit a draft in because it's the end of the week anyway. But before we get to any of that, let's do a little bit of housekeeping and upkeeping. As always, this podcast is brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network. Check them out, BLEAV.com, or wherever you download your audio goodness. Keep your midday blues away with Believe. They gave us a snazzy new logo. And they are continuously supportive in allowing us to take this show in whatever direction we want it to. So keep those midday blues away with Believe and find some of their other great content and subscribe to that as well. And of course, this show is always here because of all of you, my listeners, my unlucky lounge rats. So find us on the socials, Twitter, Twitch, and TikTok. That is Draft and Draft Corey. You can find my Instagram, Corey Demon Enriquez. And if the show is giving you some joy... Find us on Patreon, patreon.com backslash draft and draft. All those links can be found in the link tree in the show notes below. Help us keep the lights on here in the Unlucky Lounge. Well, the Sorcerer's Broom is put back into the Conjurer's Closet. And my Unlucky Lounge rats, you know, it has been a tricky week for us. The last week we missed an episode, partially due to a full allotment of life things and then also kind of butting up against a kind of scheduling snafu with a guest that I wanted to bring on to the show for Friday night podcast but it didn't quite work out so instead we actually devoted our time to recording 
with the boys at limited edition. Now, for my longtime listeners of the show, you'll know that I mentioned them in our CFB Vegas scrapbook episode. And we got a chance to play against the duo. The Unlucky Lounge here ended up getting to take away the trophy in the final round of the Mystery Booster Convention Edition draft, but I've always wanted to bring them on the show, and their time on the show is forthcoming, but the collaboration is alive and well, and I got to come onto their show and talk about a topic that is near and dear to my heart, and that is making Limited more fun. You see... The world of Limited has always been a particularly sharky format. There's pick orders, there's draft assessments, and while the card pool does allow for cards that aren't played in other formats to be quite good in draft and sealed, unfortunately, well, especially with the advent of things like 17 lands and information traveling faster than it ever has here in this decade, well, it kind of means that some of the discovery gets shored up, but that does not mean that we can't still find fun in Limited wherever one might look. And so I wanted to get onto another show and talk about it with some fellow like-minded Limited friends. Yeah, Brock, what does that make us chopped liver? Well, in your case, Mr. Turtle, I'd imagine it would actually be turtle soup. Tonight I dine on turtle soup. Corey, how dare you? Turtle? Oh, come on, Mr. Turtle. It's all in good fun. Of course you guys are my friends, but in the end, I still voice you, so it's good to talk to other people every once in a while. Is this going to be one of those fourth wall breaking episodes again? Mm, turtle. Mm, yeah, probably a bit. But if you want to hear this really fun and engaging conversation that the three of us had, look in the show description below and we kind of talk about how to have more fun in a really tight format that is limited. It goes in a lot of different directions, but hopefully we'll get the two guys on sometime in the near future probably around cube season in the transition between Kamigawa and Kapena to explore what it means for all of us to be here in the Unlucky Lounge. But I want to now take a quick pivot and revisit an episode that I did previously called The RPG Effect. Now this is a legacy episode, one that we did before we were starting to settle into what the normal flow of the show looked like. Heck, it was even really before you, Mr. Turtle. Oh, and then you found me and the show became complete. Turtle, right. If I may put on my Dr. Evil pants. But this was an episode where I posited a theory. And I want to kind of revisit it here. Especially after the recent stream on Weekly MTG that dealt with the arena economy and what it means for players entering into the ecosystem. And it forced me to kind of take a look at this previous episode and how I personally felt about magic, growth, and what it means to be a magic player over time in the face of a contemporary economy that proves to be more challenging than it is accessible in the way that it's shaped right now. 
So let me take a second to quickly summarize what my thoughts and feelings were in the original episode known as the RPG Effect. I kind of brought it back to my original time back in 2003-2004. The set was Scourge, and I had just discovered my local LGS, where, well, back in the day, Pokemon cards were all the rage. But being a new space and being a new game store, you walk in and you discover a brand new culture. This included some new card games, like for me, Dragon Ball Z the card game, and eventually Yu-Gi-Oh! became part of my own fabric of card game playing as well. But then there was Magic the Gathering, and there was something about the system itself and the fervorous player base that existed in the space that really drew me to start to enjoy the planeswalking side of card games. And I recall having my first decks. The first deck I ever had was a mono-white deck that included such bops as Dawn Elemental. This is white, 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 white for a 3-3 flying creature from Scourge that says prevent all damage dealt to Dawn Elemental. And I remember playing this card thinking, oh man, this card is just unbelievably good. There's no way it could be destroyed. And then you learn that it can get terrored and you move on to the next step of your life. Well, at least your magic playing life. You realize how interactions can go. And so then you put Pariah on Dawn Elemental and make yourself the nifty little damage shield. And then you go to your next deck. I remember building zombies from Scourge, putting together undead war chiefs and... The 2-2 Skittering Hand, I forget the name of the creature, but it was a fear creature. It was one black black for a 2-2 fear. Fear, of course, being this creature can't be blocked except by black or artifact creatures. And just swarming the board, emptying your hand, maggot carriers, oh, what days. And even more so, I remember looking through boxes, trying to find playables to shore up my deck despite a lot of strong players being around and knowing what things like metas were. I remember that was the kind of time too where I'd open a pack of Onslaught, have a Wooded Foothills and trade it for an Elvis Champion for my green deck. But this was a lawless time where online card pricing retailer spaces didn't really exist. There was no TCG player. There was no Channel Fireball, no Star City games. You just kind of made trades based on how you felt. But even though I may have lost out on a lot of value throughout my time, I still look back at those times fondly, thinking about building my collection. And along the way with building my collection, building my knowledge of Magic the Gathering. I would slowly learn why cards were good based off of play patterns and trades and getting games in and seeing what formats were like. Heck, I remember going to a different local game store and doing my first draft ever, which was a Mirrodin draft, and having no idea what the limited format was, getting absolutely stumped in a format that was filled with insanely powerful things like frogmites and thoughtcasts. But still, the game persisted to me because I felt like I was learning, that I was growing, not only through a limited sense, but mostly through a constructed sense. 
And I would never give up that experience for anything. And I hope that other people are having that very same experience. Now, these experiences happened way before the advent of solid precons and the commander format. Today, Commander is probably the most played format in all of Magic the Gathering. Being a singleton format and a legendary-based format, it's quite accessible for all players. And it's quite accessible for anyone that's looking to be an entry point into the game. But today, Paper Magic is taking a backseat to, say, the digital client of Arena. As much as I love going to my LGS when I have time to, and playing out a few games of Commander, it becomes hard in the fabric of my own life, and I must imagine that some of you listeners out there probably feel the same way. And it's unfortunate, you know? I remember trying to sneak out of my shifts working at Borders Bookstore to make events at my local game store. I remember building decks in my mind while working at a calendar outlet store in a mall and writing deck lists out on the back of receipt paper because I just had my mind in the game. And today with information, the way that it's so spread out, part of that discovery is gone. But that's not a bad thing. It changes the way that we interact with the game at a fundamental level. And while maybe people going through commons and uncommon bins to try to find the one or two playables that you really want to put in your deck that doesn't exist so much as it does today, because people can just buy a precon and get into the game in a relatively strong and accessible way. But, well, let's talk about how I feel about this whole concept after what happened with the weekly MTG announcement in the world of wild cards and arena. The announcement was made that they were going to start to sell bundles of wild cards to allow for constructed players to start to build out their collections and to allow them a chance to build the kind of decks that they want. And I have to say, my journey with Arena, going in the same route as what I laid out with the RPG effect, really enjoyed it. I started playing at the cusp of Ikoria, and I had a wonderful time building out my collection slowly, drafting a bunch, learning the formats, and just having a great time as I was discovering the little inklings of what Arena has to hold and doing it with some of my best friends. Even though it was the pandemic, the advent of Zoom allowed me to play with people. Which, side note, if you listen to the limited edition episode, one of my overall theses about how to make limited more fun is to do it with people and to do it with friends. Sharing a screen on Zoom is not a hard thing to do, and I would highly recommend anyone that has yet to really dive into that world to take and explore. But let's get back to the topic at hand. And that is this concept that I laid out of the RPG effect and what does it mean on modern magic, building out a collection. Well, with Watsi having such a focus on the new player experience, it's so easy for people to build a deck that can align with the ways that they want to play. And not just, you know, a general theme from a set, but how do these mechanics speak to people internally? 
And so I have to now kind of reconfigure my own ways of thinking about, well, even though my growth came from building out my collection and doing so through decades, that's not the way that a Magic player today is going to enter the game. It just isn't. Either they'll go online and find the best decks in the format and try to grind ladder and gold through those decks, and that's fine. It's just not going to be the same way of slowly gaining incremental value and knowledge and card selections and card pools over time. Instead, it's a little bit of a different track. They have to find kind of the best decks in the format considering the way that numbers exist nowadays and information is spread through the interwebs. And now, we have to respect and understand that the new player experience must come from a place of pragmaticness. And unfortunately, while I truly believe in journey before destination, Magic players kind of have to grow from destination and then go back to the journey. Now, what does this all mean for draft and draft? What does this mean for my thoughts on the arena and the wild card? Well, let's circle back for a second. First and foremost, I really think that arena needs to think about this new player experience and what it means for the wild card experience. $50 for the amount of wild cards that they are going to be giving to players is insanely small. The $50 for a new player is probably six to seven meals for a collegiate student. It could be for a high schooler student, three to four allowances from their parents or maybe the majority of a two-week paycheck. And considering that, going to an LGS incurs a gas cost, which today is quite a lot. The fact that this wild card cost is so high has so much more stakes in it for the new player experience than I think a lot of people are first kind of giving it credit for. If we gave out more wild cards, comparatively too to other bundles that they have for pre-release costs for new sets, allowing people the chance to have stronger decks and allowing them to play with this idea of destination before journey is going to have a higher player retention. Now I base this off of no analytics, I base it purely off of anecdotal evidence and how I'm trying to be empathetic to the new players. But I really think that the amount of wild cards that one is getting for $49.99 is just too small. The developers in Arena really need to look back at this cost and they need to reconfigure the expectations of what the dollar price is going to equal. And I know that in the long term, you can say, hey, the digital experience and the cards collected are going to be worth something. But right now, unlike, say, a Magic Online client, where there's a real working economy, how cards shift over time and cost tickets, the arena economy does not exist in the same way. If maybe down the line they allowed you to 
say, get more gems for acquiring more copies of a card, and that could then help populate and proliferate one's economy. Yeah, I could see that being a potential solution, but where is the line drawn in that situation? But let's bring it back to this show in particular, Draft and Draft. I've not had challenges with wild cards because I'm a drafter. I've done so for decades now. And the arena economy really rewards people for drafting. And unfortunately, 1,500 gems or 10,000 coins is quite a bit. Now, granted, it's a free-to-play client and Arena needs to make their money in. I can understand that. We live in a capitalistic economy and we have to recognize that the bottom line is there's a lot of people working on Arena and they need to be paid. And they should be paid accordingly. And as a drafter, to me, well, I can deal with this economy because I have the knowledge. But then what about the other players, the new players that are coming in that are looking to build up their collection but maybe don't know what it means to be an arena player, especially in a world where the format itself is so difficult. It's so hard to get into. I've had a lot of bumps and bruises. I've lost a lot of money at LGS's over time. And for each experience, such as love in the time of Kaldheim or the day the swamp dried out, I've had equal amounts of misses at Grand Prix and even CFB Vegas. So how does a new player expect to build up their collection through a limited sense when the format itself is so hard to do? And even I, who just came off of an episode of Limited Edition, was flying the flag of have more fun in Limited. Well, sometimes that fun can come at a cost. That cost being real-world gems, which equal real-world dollars. And as much as I stand by everything I said on Limited Edition, the bottom line for new player experience is tough. And granted, maybe over the course of 10, 11 days, you can get enough coins by grinding small matches, earning your coins, and completing your wizard quests to get enough money to get in a draft per week. That's a very slow way for people to learn Limited. So in the end, the cost then is time. And time is the most valuable resource that you could ever give anyone. And I've said that on the show before. And here now, I thank all my patrons and all of my listeners for giving me your time. But games come and go quickly. And Magic Arena, understand that you are now the main entry point for people to appreciate and come to love planeswalking. Come to love some of the iconic characters, Chandra, Gideon, Nyssa, Liliana, Jace. Come to love the story building, the game system, the formats. With that being true, I ask to potentially take one more look at that economy. Reevaluate the wild card layout. And maybe we can find a way to just help out a little bit more to be it the daily quests or maybe a coin to gem conversion rate. Something to 
to allow those new players to get into the constructive format they want to, or maybe gain easier access to doing more drafts over time so they can learn and get the bumps and bruises along the roads like seasoned veterans of Limited, like myself, LSV, some of my closest friends, Marshall, the boys of Lords Unlimited, Limited Edition, and all the great drafters beyond. But with time being such a resource, let's recognize and see if we can find a way to give people more reps. And to all of my listeners that maybe are new out there, started playing in the last three or four years, I ask this of you. I've always said that this show is not one to necessarily get better at limited with. I'm here to celebrate all of you at the end of a week. I'm here to go on silly adventures, to do something different. But I ask you to keep learning, keep striving, especially in the worlds of draft and sealed. Allow yourself the space to fail. Don't set an expectation like I need to win We get seven wins off of every draft. Allow yourself to step back and say, hey, there was something really important that I took away from this. And listen and digest content. Put on those podcasts on the road and soak in some of the great drafting minds of our day. And walk away with the same passion that I have for this amazing format. No two decks are ever the same. Adjusting on the fly is part of the game. And discovering and rediscovering a limited format over time can bring the kind of satisfaction that few other formats in Magic the Gathering can have. And hopefully, with continued experience, you'll learn something about the draft format. And hopefully from words such as my own, Pleasant Kenobi, other content creators out there, and maybe together we can impact some positive change and make Arena even more accessible to new players out there. Indeed, Borok. Corey, well said. Turtle. Thanks, guys. This space I've always wanted to be a place of positivity and celebration, but every once in a while, you have to get pragmatic you can't always be a people pleaser. But in the end, I'm happy for what I said. And if maybe one person listens to this and it speaks to them, keeps them to stay in the game, or maybe someone retweets or says something about this, and it can help affect positive change, even if it was just one person, then it will have been worth it. Whew, that was pretty heavy. But let's take a quick break and let's go back to the current format of Kamigawa Neon Dynasty with a draft here in the Unlucky Lounge. Stick around. Welcome back, all of my Unlucky Lounge rats. I hope you've refreshed, refueled, and good to see you've returned as we're about to dive back into Kamigawa Neon Dynasty. And Borok, Mr. Turtle, I am not afraid to say that this might be a GOAT format. Ooh, is it hot take time in the Unlucky Lounge? Mm, Turtle. That being said, I don't think you're wrong, Cory. This format is wonderful. Mm, Turtle. <laughs> 
you know what, Barak? That is a fair criticism. The aggressive decks in the format are a little few and far between, but I will say you can get some really good traction off of, say, Black Red with Oni Cult Anvil. And I've found a little success with Red Green slanting more aggressive than value mid range. But I really love this format and the interplay between artifacts and enchantments. So satisfying. And then you get little build around things like, say, Containment Construct or. Yes, Mr. Turtle. Even the shrines. Oh, I'm glad you said it. Otherwise, I was going to bring it up again. Turtle. I gotta give you credit where credit's due, Mr. Turtle. Even in the episode of Limited Edition, I posited that spending, say, a pick one, pack one on maybe not the most consistent removal card or like a saga, instead, like taking it towards a more dream scenario type card situation, like, say, a shrine or maybe even like a mech titan core or some other build around like containment construct or patchwork automaton can pay off dividends and in the end how many pick one pack ones should you end up playing in the long scheme of things i would say probably maybe 50 55 percent and that's a decent number but it's not that high and Especially in a format that rewards you for playing strong value cards and having a good self-contained plan, having a card that has high ceiling in your pick one, pack one can be worth it. Now, I still potentially shy away from multicolor things just for mana commitment because the format can still support splashing, especially if you have, say, a good card in general, like I'll still play a red shrine if I need to, or a white shrine to get a few 1-1s. You can splash it with all of the two color lands that are floating around in the format. But I really have enjoyed the different archetypes and the different routes that we can take in this format. Now our last draft deck in our previous FNP, we ended up going 3-3. Three and three. Unfortunately, we got taken down by a few very, very strong streamlined ninja decks and an Oni Colt Anvil deck and a Nailbiter with a green-white deck that has a very strong enchantment sub-theme that was built into it. But let's see if we can get maybe one of those strategies in this draft deck. But before we dip into it, let's take a second to celebrate all of you. Grab a drink. Grab a snack. Maybe even crack a pack. Let's celebrate all the great that you are. Folks, this is the untapped step. Ah. Always good to the last drop, Borak. What a bear tender you are. You're right, my man. The draft is ready. We're in the best of one queue, and let's get underway. And who? What? A start we have here. A series of strong choices. We mentioned this card before, Oni Cult Anvil. Red green, the artifact. When an artifact leaves the battlefield under your control on your turn, you make a 1-1 artifact construct creature token. And then you can sack an artifact and tap the anvil to drain your opponent for one. Great multicolor card there. There's also Colossal Sky Turtle. I've had a lot of success in the green splashing blue life. The 6-5 flying ward 2 creature with two channel abilities, one to bring back a card from a graveyard, and one to return target creature to its owner's hand. There is the blue shrine. Corey, don't go breaking my heart. You're not going to take it. Turtle. Sorry, Mr. Turtle. That's not going to be our pick because 
I gotta go with the rare in this pack. It is the Mythic Planeswalker, Kaito Shizuki. Oh, what a fun one. I've never played with this card before, and I'm looking forward to trying to do so here. It is the Black Blue 3 CMC Planeswalker with a loyalty of 3. It phases out at the first turn that it enters the battlefield with, and then you can either draw cards or make unblockable ninjas. It's just a fun little utility piece. I love it. I, I really want to try this card out. Let's go to pick two of pack one. Rare is still in the pack. That is Mirror Box. That is not a card we're going to take. There's also in the uncommon slot two blue cards, one being Acquisition Octopus, the Ophidian of the format, the Scroll Thief. Not that great, even though it has reconfigure. What a shame. It's just kind of hard to get through with this card. There's also a Covert Technician, the Ninjutsu 2 4 for 2 and a blue, Ninjutsu's for 1 and a blue, and when it deals combat damage to a player, you may put an artifact card with mana value less than or equal to that damage from your hand onto the battlefield. Not bad. There's an Imperial Oath, the sweeping white common that has one of the best win percentages, 5 and a white, sorcery create 3, 2, 2, white samurai, creature tokens with vigilance, then scry 3. I'm kind of inclined to take this card. We can splash Kaito, and Imperial Oath is just that good. There is an Ecologist Terrarium in this pack as well, but I think the Oath is just too good to pass up on. So let's scoop that up and go to pick 3 of pack 1. Well, we talked about the Splash universe here, and we do see a card that would support that. That is Naomi, Pillar of Order. This is the tiny Grave Titan of the format. 3, white, black. Human Advisor, 4-4. Four, four. When it enters a battlefield or attacks, if you control an artifact and an enchantment, you make a 2-2 two, two white Vigilant Samurai creature token. Yeah, kind of into this card. There is a Moon Snare Specialist as well, but we can try to build this white-black artifact enchantment deck and maybe do a little splashing for Kaito, or maybe cut Kaito in general. We'll see, but let's take that card and go to our next pick. Oh, Mr. Turtle. I know there's a lot of Goshintais going around. The blue one, apparently, in particular. That's the second one we've seen here in pick four, pack one. Ooh. It's okay, Cory. You don't have to take it from me. It's not very good. Turtle. I'm sorry, I can't do it. I can't. Instead, we could take a hotshot mechanic. It's the fox pilot that can crew up to more than its 2-1 power. There's also a high-speed hover bike, which has been doing some good work for people. You know, I have yet to really dig into this card, and it does hit that artifact side of the artifact enchantment sub-theme of white-black. There is a brute suit and a dragonfly suit clawing torment, but let's go with the hover bike and see if we can build up from there. As we go to pick five of pack one, one of my favorite commons in this archetype, Kami of Terrible Secrets. The 3-4 for 3 and a black when an ETB zip control an artifact and enchantment, you draw a card and gain a life. Pretty cool. There's also a Born to Drive. This is the enchantment aura that enchanted permanent is a creature. Uh, it gets plus one, plus one for each creature and our vehicle you control and then channels to make two pilot creature tokens. But there is a network terminal in this pack and as it stands, I'd be pretty happy to try to maximize on the colors that we have going on here. And Network Terminal does a good job in both accelerating and color fixing if we want to make this Kaito Shizuki work, which I'm inclined to want to try to do. So I'm going to scoop up this early Network Terminal and make my mana commitments feel a little bit better. And any dual lands we take in the Esper color pie is just going to help us out more. Pick six of pack one. Eh, this is a little weak on the 
pack front, not gonna lie. However, there is a Shrine Steward in this pack, one of my favorite cards in this format. Five colors for a 3-2 artifact creature construct. When it ETBs, you search your library for an aura or shrine card, reveal it, and put it into your hand. This fits the black-white theme perfectly because it itself is an artifact, and then you go and get an enchantment based off its effect. If we end up with, say, a Clawing Torment or an Intercessor's Arrest, we got a good recipe for a solid deck there. So let's scoop that up and go to pick seven of pack one. Here I'm going to take a Leech Gauntlet. This is the 2-2 lifelinker for one and a black. Enchanted, or sorry, equipped creature has lifelink and you can reconfigure for four. It's really gone down, I think, for people since its initial release just because of the high reconfigure cost, but still it's a lifelinker. That's a 2-2 for two. It's an artifact, so it fits in our theme. And for our curve consideration right now, I have no complaints. You're right, Borok. The fact that this card is in a non-aggressive format does make it a bit worse as well. So, still, I'm not sad at all to scoop that up as we go to pick eight. Eh, well, there's really a lot of green and blue in here. I'll probably end up taking a Golden Tail Disciple, the two-three lifelink for two and a white. It's an enchantment, which is the key part. But hey, a two-three lifelinker for three, not the worst in the world. Pick nine. Oh well. We did table the Saga out of this pack, which is Befriending the Moths. This is one that I've cooled down on quite a bit, but maybe in the deck that we have here, it could work out well for us. This is the Saga that on chapters 1 and 2 for 4 mana, target creature you control gets plus 1 plus 1 and flying until end of turn, and then transforms into a 2-4 flying creature. Why not? We're trying to fill out the 4-drop slot. You know, ooh, we mentioned it before with Shrine Steward, but a Clawing Torment has found its way to us, I'll happily play the first Clawing Torment, and the fact that we have a tutor target with it, with the Shrine Steward, makes me a pretty happy boy. As we go to garbage time, we'll pick up a Dragonfly suit, which I'm not too interested in playing. There is a Hotshot mechanic, though, in this pick 12. I'll just take it. Like, who knows? Maybe I just need some early plays. As we go to garbage time here, you know, I still think we can make Kaito Shizuki work. It just does a lot of good work. I'd love to find a little bit more on the enchantment side of things. Even though we do have a Golden Detail Disciple, Befriending the Moths, and Clawing Torment going into pack two, but maybe a little bit more solid enchantment things, maybe a few more good auras could do us well. Let's see what we get here and pick one of pack two. The rarest Spring Leaf Avenger, the green rare ninjutsu creature. Good one, just not for us. There's two red uncommons, which I'm not too interested in, but there is a Dockside Chef in this pack. The 1-2 for a single black, sacrifice an artifact or creature by paying one to black and then drawing a card. Now I'm interested in making this card a little bit more pungent, and hey, he's definitely a spicy meatball. On top of spaghetti, all covered with cheese. Alright, I shoot in a reference a little bit, but whatever. The saga in this pack is the modern age. I mean, I'm just flirting with blue a little bit. And there is a Sunblade Samurai, but I really wanted to play with Dockside Chef in this format more, and I want to give it a try here. Pick two, pack two. Oh! Oh, there is some choices here. So, the rare is in our colors. It's Grease Fang. Okiba Boss, the 4-3 for one 
black-white. At the beginning of combat, on your turn, return a vehicle card from your graveyard to the battlefield. It gains haste. Then you return it to its owner's hand at the beginning of your next end step. Really nice, especially with that high-speed hover bike. If we pick up a brute suit, that does pretty good. But can it take down either the Ecologist Terrarium or Okiba Reckoner Raid? Whew, this is tough. The Terrarium will give us a little bit more in the world of color fixing, which I would love to find, especially with this Planeswalker. But Okiba Reckoner Raid has one of the best win percentages in the verse. <sighs> I'm gonna go with the Saga. It's just so efficient, I can't argue against it. Pick three, pack two. Roadside Reliquary, the colorless land that can draw you up to two cards if you control an artifact or enchantments in this pack, really nice. There's also a Twisted Embrace, the kill spell that is an enchantment aura tutorable with the Shrine Steward, but there's also a Patchwork Automaton. Oh, that's so tough. We have five artifacts at the moment. Oh, the pain is real. Oh, I'm definitely not going to take this land considering the Automaton and Embracer in this pack. And as it stands right now, mm, I think I got to go with the Twisted Embrace. We're just not all in on artifacts. It's close. It truly is. But I don't even know if we're going to play this hotshot mechanic right now. So... I'd rather just take a removal spell and try to make our deck a little bit more consistent. As we go to pick four of pack two, another difficult choice here. We have an Intercessor's Arrest, the Imperial Recovery Unit, which is the 3-4 vehicle that costs two and a white, crew two, and when it attacks, return target creature or vehicle card with a mana value of two or less from your graveyard to your hand. Yeah, it's been pretty medium, but I think we're just going to take a second Imperial Oath here. We took it, pick two of pack two, and right now, I'm very happy picking up a second one. This card is just insane. Three, two, two, white samurai creature tokens with vigilance for a common and scry three? Oh, be still my beating heart. Pick five of pack two. Well, I think we're going to probably scoop up another removal spell here in Assassin's Ink. It is the destroy target creature planeswalker for two black black, but it costs one less. If you control an artifact, and one less if you control an enchantment. A plus thumbs up, happy to take. Pick six. Hmm, well, a couple choices here. We have Narika Yamakaze, the poet. The vigilance human samurai, when a samurai or warrior you control attacks alone, may cast target enchantment card from your graveyard. We have six enchantments right now. Twist Embrace being one of them, Okiba Reconorade being one of them, Clawing Torment being one of them. It's a pretty good card right now for us. There's also a Papercraft Decoy. You know, I think I'm kind of in for Norika though. The 3-2 Vigilance Body is pretty good. We have a decent removal package to try to get it through and get another attack with it, but even if you just attack with it once, she's going to do her job and she's going to do it well. Pick 7 of Pack 2. Oh, Saga here, Fall of Lord Conda. You know, it's gone down just a bit because that mana value of 4 greater does resemble more a Smite the Monstrous than it does you know, any other kind of removal. But it still does enough, and I think it's still something I'm happy to play. So we'll pick it up here in pick 7. As we go to pick 8, Mr. Turtle, I'm so sorry. <laughs> There's more blue shrines here. A turtle! A turtle! Oh, turtle. Well, thank you for your understanding, my friend. We'll pick up a Brute Suit here. We certainly need to fill out more of our two-drop slot as we go to pick nine. And this is our table pack. There is an Iron Apprentice here. 
I'll scoop it up. It's nice kind of with the Dockside Chef. And, you know, it's a solid role player. Our one-drop slot's looking pretty okay. Pick 10, we'll pick up an Aganjo Exemplar. Not a big fan of this card, honestly, but it is an enchantment creature. It is a samurai human warrior. So, sure, why not? And we're going to go to garbage time here. You know, the deck's not bad. Ooh, a little Mukdai Ambusher late in the pack. Not bad, I might actually play that. But we got a lot of playables right now. 22 in particular. And our numbers are looking pretty good. 8 artifacts, 8 enchantments. If we see any Kami of Terrible Secrets in the next pack, we'd be pretty happy to take it and kind of go to town. Sadly, the Grease Fang didn't table, but I wasn't really expecting it to. And it's not the best for our deck, but let's see what we get here for pick 1 of pack 3. The rare is playable and will go into our deck, and that is the Restoration of a Ganjo. The 2 and a White Saga. Chapter 1, search for a basic plant, put in your hand. And then Chapter 2, you can discard a card, return a permanent card with mana value 2 or less from your graveyard to the battlefield, tapped. And then it transforms into a 3-4 Vigilant Creature that, when it attacks the blocks, make a 1-1 one, one colorless Spirit Creature token. Great! Oh, sadly though, in the 2-drop slot, there's both Spirited Companion and Virus Beetle. Oh, just amazing, but I don't think I can pass up this saga. Let's go to pick 2. Filling out the curve, though, we can take an Era of Enlightenment. What a good, good 2-drop. Now, at the beginning of the format, I was a little skeptical, because I thought it was just a little slow, you know, getting a 2-2 First Striker for 2 after 3 turns and can't even attack. But, you know, all the proliferation of strong sagas in this format has really slowed down the format, and Era of Enlightenment is a great piece to make this deck function. Taking it and going to pick 3 of pack 3... Ooh! The uncommon slot looks like it is in our favor. There are two cards here that are pretty nice. One is Skyblast Samurai, and the other is Touch the Spirit Realm. This is the O-Ring of the format. It only exiles up to one artifact or creature, and then you can channel it to flicker an artifact or creature. Nice on tokens, good to save our creatures, and just a really strong utility piece in general. The, I would consider the Samurai more, but we're pretty even on enchantments, and we do have two Imperial Oaths, Plus the Naomi to help finish off our opponent. So, just nice to take a little utility piece there. Pick four. Ooh, well. Talk about Kami of Terrible Secrets. There you go. There's still a high-speed hover bike in this pack, but I don't think I need to take that. I think we can happily take our first Kami here with eight artifacts and 11 enchantments. And we're going to increase that enchantment count here by one as we take up our second Era of Enlightenment. You know, if I could just find one dual land in our colors right now, I think that would really shore up the last thing I need in this deck. Just some kind of Esper dual land would just be beautiful. We're going to take another Norika Yamakaze in this pick six of pack three. And just probably not going to play it. We're already at 27 playables, which is a good place to be, don't get me wrong. But as we go to pick seven, we still don't see it. Oh, I think we're going to run out of time here as we're just gonna scoop up some random whatever dramatist puppet everything else is blue and red and green in this pack and here it is the last fresh pack and ugh. well we do see a when we were young this is the expensive combat trick that gives plus two plus two to up to two tired creatures and then if you control an artifact and enchantment they gain lifelink until end of turn eh, i'd rather take that than say a second clawing torment and just probably not end up playing it but oh Nice little table. We did find the Virus Beetle. Granted, we have no ninjutsu, 
The Virus Beetle still does a good amount of work and is a good curve filler for what our deck wants right now. And unfortunately, I don't know how I feel right now about this Kaito Shizuki as I'm going to pick up a Paper Graph Decoy here in pick 10. And well, the draft continues to just roll along and well, we've got a deck. It's pretty okay, I think. You know, there's going to be a few things here and there that yeah, maybe I would have picked differently, but hindsight is certainly a thing. And regardless, we're going to have ourselves a pretty decent deck. Ooh, a little you are already dead late in this third pack. I don't mind that card at all. And a lethal exploit too. Well, what's going to happen with this deck is going to be the optimal question. And I'll tell you what, if you want to learn, two good ways of doing it. The first way to do it is to subscribe to the podcast, like it, share it, tell your friends, let them listen to something on the way back from work, school, classes, or in between. Leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Not only does it move the analytics, but it means the world to us here in the Unlucky Lounge. Also, find us on Twitch. I'm going to stream this draft deck. There's something about this that really speaks to me, and I want to see how it plays out. I don't even know if I'll end up playing that Planeswalker. Maybe. But we're really truly a black-white deck. And I don't know if I want to search the mana that deep for it. But to find out, find us on all those socials. Twitter, Twitch, TikTok, Draft and Draft Corey. You can find my Instagram, Corey Demon Enriquez. And if the show is giving you some joy, patreon.com backslash draft and draft. All the links in our link tree in the show notes below. You'll also find a link to the podcast episode that I did with the boys at Limited Edition, so give that a listen and subscribe to them as well. But for now, I've found the bottom of my drink, and so we've reached the end of another episode. My name is Corey, joined alongside Borok. <coughs> and Mr. Turtle 2. That's me, but shrineless turtle. <laughs> Don't worry, Mr. Turtle. You still mean the world to me. And this has been Draft and Draft. Now go out there and make some magical memories of your own. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.